Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, that's page 974 if you're using the Bible provided for you. 974. You might also want to be ready to look at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We'll turn back there in just a few minutes. So after you get to Galatians chapter 4, be ready just to turn back to the left a few chapters to Romans chapter 8. Wonderful time of year. Great to see the children, but wonderful to hear the children singing about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And how blessed to have this Advent season as we think about the timeless hope that we have. Advent is about time and it's about hope. It's about time because Advent is a reminder of waiting. The waiting and the waiting for the coming of the Son of God. And now the waiting and waiting for his second coming, right? It's about hope. Hope is a Bible word. Hope does not mean, I wish so. I'm, I'm praying it might be so. But hope is based on truth. It's about, I know so. And so at Advent, we are thinking about time, timeless hope. Because it's a hope that is based in the timeless one, based in God. Excuse my voice this morning. A few years ago, I had a phone call. And it was put through to me at my desk. And they said, it sounds like it might be important. And so I answered it and man on the other end said this. He said, are you the preacher that's on the radio right now? And I looked at the clock of my office. It was just a a few minutes past two. And I said, well, yes, I am. Because I recognize that uh, the radio ministry that we have, Sunlight, is on the air every uh, day, Monday through Friday at two o'clock. And so it it was airing. And I said, yes, I am. And then he said this. Well, preacher, right now, I'm holding a pistol to my head. And I wonder if there's anything you can tell me before I pull the trigger. I've heard you on the radio. But I don't think I can do this. But I just thought I'd give you a call. Is there any reason you can tell me why I shouldn't pull this trigger? Well, you can imagine how I immediately began to pray as I was trying to talk to this man. Praying that in the next moment I would not hear an explosion over that phone. And know that that eternal soul had gone out into eternity without hope. 
He was asking if I could give him hope. And so as I was praying, I began to talk to him about how his life did matter, how God loved him, how he could have a great hope. And while I was talking to him, I began to hear pounding on the door because evidently his family had become concerned about him and they were pounding and pounding on the door. I could hear his son's voice speaking out to his dad. And so I talked to him about his family. I talked to him about what this would mean and how he was loved. And here was evidence of a family's love. And the fact that he was talking to me was evidence of God's love. And so I prayed with him over the phone and thank God he did put the weapon down. He put the phone down, he answered the door and I was able to hear his family interact with him. And finally, one of the family members, I take it was his son, picked up the phone and talked to me. And he, he said, thank you, thank you so very much. I was very glad that I was able to give that man some hope. But I couldn't give him hope, but I could share that there is hope in the Lord. You know, I never sent that man a bill for my counseling. (laughs) I didn't send the family a bill. Because you know when you share hope, real hope, that's priceless. And it's absolutely free. Priceless and free at the same time. Advent is about hope. And our hope is priceless. But that hope isn't cheap. That hope that's so priceless is provided by a price that is beyond our ability to understand. This morning, I want us to think about this priceless hope as we're looking at this text of scripture in Galatians. It's the text to focus our thinking, our worship during this season of Advent, I want you to think now of how priceless the hope is that God brought to us when he sent forth his son. Verse 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir Through God. What a hope, right? Priceless, provided by God's own Son. This morning, I want you to notice from this passage of Scripture about our priceless hope. Priceless hope. 
Because there was one who was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. That's the reason it's priceless. Now, I want you to see how God provided this priceless hope through Christ. God sent forth his son. We looked at that last week. In the fullness of time, at the exact moment of time, God sent forth his son. And remember, that word sent forth means sent forth as an apostle or sent forth as a messenger on a mission. And now he tells us what that mission was. It was a a mission, truly a mission of hope. And it is provided these ways. God provided our hope through his son, these three ways. Did you notice them this morning? First of all, he said, this hope is provided through the son's human relationship. Now notice that God sent forth his son, God's son, the eternal son of God. Then notice, born of a woman. God's son, born of a woman. Now, born of a woman is just a very simple phrase. There's nothing unique about that until you consider a few things. This, This phrase, born of a woman, goes back to the very first promise of the Bible. Do you remember what the very first promise recorded in the Bible is? When Adam and Eve had sinned and they had ruined themselves, they had ruined their relationship with God and they had ruined creation by their sin, God then made a promise. It was a veiled promise, but it was a promise. He said, I am sending one of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head, meaning the devil. He will crush his head, and by crushing his head, God said his heel would be bruised. There was one who would be of the seed of the woman. That's the first hint in the Bible in the the very first promise of the virgin birth, not of the seed of the man, but of the seed of the woman. The, the, The one who would rescue would come of the seed of the woman. Isaiah, hundreds of years later, said this. He said, behold, a virgin shall conceive... A virgin, literally, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name, what? Emmanuel, God with us. And then 700 years after that, the angel came and proclaimed to that teenage girl in Nazareth, Mary, you will conceive the Messiah, the Spirit of God will overshadow you so that the one that is born of you will be called the Son of the Highest. 
born of a woman. What does this mean? It means that God sent forth his son on his mission through human relationship. He came through the miraculous incarnation. God came to the rescue. Now, no one understood that. Even the ones that understood that a rescuer was coming, coming no, one, no one understood that it would be God himself. But God himself would become incarnate. That is, he would take on a body from the Virgin Mary. But the one born to her, as Tommy just sang about, would be God himself. God's miraculous incarnation. He would become human. And in this incarnation, why was it necessary for God to become human? It was because out of his mercy, out of God's great mercy, there had to be an identification with us. You see, for God to save us, he had to become like us. He had to become like us. Now, this is an amazing thing. When God created man, he identified man with him. Do you remember this? It says that God created man, what? In his own image. When God created man, he identified man with him. But when God came to this earth in the form of Jesus, God identified himself with man. He became a man. He became the image bearer himself. We sang this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And in your insert, in your bulletin, I hope that you're taking time to use these. You might want to take it out and put it in your Bible, but use these devotional guides during Advent. I'm grateful that Joe, our, our pastor of adults, has put these together. They're excellent. But you'll notice there's a song each week. And we sang the song this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But Notice the second stanza. The second stanza. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In order to save us, God had to become like us. He identified himself with us through human relationship. He was born of a woman. But now I want you to notice something that was not enough. God could not save us just by becoming like us. That was not enough. 
You see, in order for us to have a relationship with him, it was not enough for God just to be born and be like us. He had to come and also live for us. Why was he born? He was born to live the life we could not live. And that's the second thing I want you to notice. This timeless hope is provided through a human relationship. The son was born to a woman. And he was born, what's the next thing verse 4 says? He was born what? Under the law. He was born under the law. He had a holy responsibility. He was born under the law. When God took on himself the form of a man, Jesus, the baby Jesus was born a Jewish child. And he grew up a Jewish boy. And he became a Jewish young man and became a Jewish full grown man. And all the time he was under the Jewish law, the law of God. He was under that law. He was under obligation to that law. And here's the good news. The good news is by being under the obligation of the law, Jesus fulfilled our obligation. That's good news, right? He took our obligation. He lived on in our behalf. He lived the life that we could not live. He lived the life that wasn't possible for us to live. We could not keep God's law. We just couldn't do it. You know, I've heard people sometimes say when they're trying to talk about their salvation, they say, well, you know, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. And the reality is, as soon as they say, I try to keep the Ten Commandments, they've just broken one of them because they've just borne false witness. They've just told a whopper, a lie. No one can keep the Ten Commandments. None of us can keep them. The law, listen, God's law can't save us. But the problem's not with the law. God's law is perfect just like he is perfect. But the problem is with us. I like to use this illustration. God's law is like a mirror. You look in a mirror, what does the mirror do? The mirror tells you your face is dirty. But the mirror can do nothing to get rid of the dirt. The mirror just shows you that your face is dirty. And that's the way it is with the law of God. When we look at the law of God, it's perfect. It's holy, just like God is. But what it shows us is that we're not. We, we can't keep God's law. We can't earn it. We can't do it. It just shows us that we are in need of someone to keep it for us. Right? We're lawbreakers. What does every lawbreaker need? Every lawbreaker needs a lawkeeper. Born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus has kept the law for us. Now, here's where it 
is so beautiful when you look at how the Apostle Paul said this in another passage. I ask you to be ready to look at Romans chapter 8. Can you turn back there now? I ask you to be ready to turn there. And Romans chapter 8. Notice what Paul says here. And many of you are so familiar with this. And many of you perhaps could quote it. But I'm, I'm going to ask you to, right now. I know it's delicious, but I want you to taste it again for the very first time. Just like cornflakes, all right? Listen, listen to this. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, what's the next two words? No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus... For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? That's the commandments of God that we cannot keep. It's the commandments of God have become the law of sin and death for us because we can't keep them. Verse 3, so what's the answer? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that's our flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does our text say in Galatians 4? In the fullness of time, God did what? Sent forth his son made of a woman, made of flesh like us, but not a sinner like us through the virgin birth. And he condemned sin in the flesh. What does that mean? He overcame sin. He lived the perfect life. He lived the life we could not live. He lived under the law of God absolutely perfectly. And now, in order, this is the promise, that the righteous requirements of the law, what the law demands, might be fulfilled in us. How is it fulfilled in us? Through Christ, our substitute. And we have become those who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, by his new birth. Now, friends, listen. That is the deep, deep water of the grace of God. Anybody feel like you're in over your head? It, we're in over our head, but come on in. The water's fine, right? Just drown in the grace of God. That you have had someone undertake for you. He came under the law to live the life you could not live. And he fulfilled the law and fulfilled your obligations for you. Wow. See, God didn't set aside his law. God fulfilled his own law. The law we couldn't keep, he came down and said, I'll keep it myself. And I'll do it for my people who cannot do it. Jesus lived a life of per perfect righteousness. And he's rich. 
He's rich in righteousness and he's rich enough, listen carefully now, he's rich enough to pay the price of every sinner. He's rich enough to pay the price of every sinner's debts. Look back now at our text, Galatians chapter four. He offers us a priceless hope because he took on a human relationship. He was born of a woman. He accomplished a holy responsibility. He was born under the law and he kept the law. And now he's also providing through the son a heavenly redemption. What does it say in verse four and five? He was born of a woman, born under the law. For what purpose? To, what's the next word? Redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, who had failed their obligation. They're under the obligation of the law that they have broken. And the penalty must be paid. And that penalty can only be paid by someone righteous enough to pay the price. And who alone can pay the price? The only righteous one, the Son of God. And he came to redeem. Now that word redeem, listen, that's, listen to me. That's the great word of the Bible. If you ever want to know what the Bible is all about, I can tell you what the Bible is about in one word. It's about redemption. There is a scarlet thread that weaves all the Bible together from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. The Bible is the story of redemption. Think about it. Where does the Bible begin? Paradise. Image bearers of God with a perfect relationship with their heavenly father, enjoying paradise. Enjoying life in his presence with nothing between. Perfect relationship as an image bearer. That's where the Bible begins. All of that is lost by sin. But now where does the Bible end? The Bible ends with paradise. Image bearers in the presence of God, enjoying him forever with nothing in between, no more sin, paradise forever, a perfect loving relationship with God, a perfectly peaceful creation. That's where the Bible ends. How does that get fixed? Through redemption, through Christ. God said, I'm going to come and pay the price to fix this. I'm going to buy back what sin has done. I'm going to restore it. And he was going to pay the price. That's what the Bible is all about. Now how did Jesus pay this price? What was the price to redeem us well, you're in chapter four of Galatians. I want you to look at one 
chapter over, maybe just one column over in your Bible. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at where this word is used again, redeem. Galatians 3 verse 13, follow this carefully. Christ, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? It's the penalty on sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. The soul that sins will die. The curse of sin is death. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 22 and 23. And in that day, a person who was guilty of the worst crimes, after that person was put to death, his body for one day was hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who, who hangs on a tree because he's the worst lawbreaker. Now what does it say? The Son of God has redeemed us from the curse, the penalty of sin, having become a curse for us when he was hanged on the tree, the cross of Calvary. The cross of Calvary is the tree of life. It is the tree of life that brings paradise back. Because it was on the tree that God himself in Christ was cursed for our sakes, taking our place, accepting our punishment. He was hanged on a tree. And God showed that he accepted what Jesus had done, taking our place, when on the third day, what did he do? He raised him from the dead. I'm satisfied with what my son has done. My son's death is enough. He has paid the price. He's paid the price of worth all the sins of every person who will ever live. His death has satisfied the wrath of sin. He's paid the price and I'm raising him to life as a savior to all who will believe. That's the gospel. He was hanged on a tree. The, the creator was hanged on a tree. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he thought about the cross and he said, God forsaken by God, who can understand it? The son became, think of it, the son of God became the cursed one so that we, the cursed ones, could become the sons and daughters of God.
The first job I ever had, I should say, that I ever applied for because the first job I ever had was mowing yards and I didn't apply for that job. My dad just drafted me for it. <laughs> but the first job I ever got that I applied for it was when I was a sophomore, I think in high school. I got a job at the Kenny Eaton's Market in my hometown. Kenny Eaton's Market, stocking shelves and sacking groceries. Now, the store was called Kenny Eaton's because it was started by a man named, named Kenny Eaton. That makes sense. But it, by the time I worked there, it had been purchased by a man. And his name was Tom Cashdollar. Tom Cashdollar. That's a good name for somebody who owns a store, isn't it? <laughs> Cashdollar. He lived up to his name, too. So I worked at Kenny Eaton's that was owned by Tom Cashdollar, and I remember at the checkout, as I would bag groceries, many times I'd look up and I would see one of the boards of shame. The boards of shame, we called them, because there were two checkout lines in this little market and there was a board right at the cash register. And on that board at the cash register were the checks of anybody whose checks bounced for insufficient funds. <laughs> and Tom Cashdollar put them up at the cash register. And I thought, that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard of in my life. And people would come by and they would look at the board of shame. I actually think he put it there as a marketing technique. <laughs> because a lot of people wanted to see who's on the board of shame. Let me tell you what I never saw written on any of those checks. Not one of those checks said, paid in full by Tom Cash Dollar. Not one. Not one said, paid in full by the owner. The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, made of a woman made under the law to pay in full the debt of every person on the board of shame. And your check and my check, my life's check, your life's check, and our picture is on that board of shame. And Christ came to redeem us. To pay in full the penalty. And I want you to listen to this. How did he do it? Just listen to this. Colossians 2 verse 13. Just listen. God made us alive together with him, Christ. Remember his resurrection? God made us 
alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses, having forgiven us our debts. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, the law that we had broken. This he set aside. How did he do it? Nailing it to his cross. <laughs> he has taken the record of your wrongs. He's taken the record of my wrongs. He's taken all the curses, all the punishment. He's taken our insufficient funds of a life lived for ourselves. And he has paid in full for our debts with his own righteousness. And he has nailed it to his cross in full payment. Absolute full payment. Paid in full by the Son of God. And friend, that is the gospel. The good news is God knows your sins. He knows my sins. We don't even know our own sins. He knows them all and a full payment has been made by his son who was hanged on a tree and our debt was nailed to his cross. Now, dear friend, what could you possibly do to offer God anything remotely equal to that? Are you going to offer him your best? Are you going to offer him, you're going to make it right? Oh, friend, it's already made right. What you must do is trust what's been done. It's been paid for. The debt's been paid. Now, there's hope. What's hope? It's trust. It's believing. It's confidence. It's reliance. What are you going to hope in? Who are you going to hope in? Who are you going to trust in? Who are you going to look to? Faith is looking away from yourself. It's looking away from your bankrupt bank account. It's looking up at your debts of insufficient funds and seeing them nailed to the cross of Jesus and written in his blood, paid in full. That is your hope. And if your hope is in anything else, then you're hopeless. You're without hope. But if you will look to Christ, if you will trust Christ, all of that is given to you. Paid for. Freely. What an awesome God. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Paid in full. The board of shame. Paid in full. Written in red. 
the blood of Jesus. Dear friend, let's quiet ourselves just for a moment. Will you look to Christ right now? Right now. Will you quit trying to save yourself? Will you stop trying to earn righteousness? Will you look to Christ? Will you trust him? Will you look to Jesus? The blessed one who was cursed for you. See your sins nailed to his cross. Will you trust him? He is a savior to all who trust him, to all who call upon him. Right now, this moment, run to Christ, run to Jesus. Wrap your arms around Christ and claim him as your substitute. He is the tree of life. And now, Christian, whatever's on your heart, whatever grieves you and grieves the spirit, take it to him right now. Call upon him. Ask for his mercy again. Yes, he already knows. He's already dealt with this. But now you deal with what's there. Father, I pray now as we come to this, these closing moments of our service that your Holy Spirit would draw people to Christ. Open the blinded eyes. May they see Jesus and him alone. And may our hearts be filled with joy. May we be awestruck by your grace. We pray in your name and God's people said, amen, amen.